Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. It is so nice to have you with us today. We look forward to your company for the next half hour or so as we focus our attention on what has been happening in the world of sport over the last 24 hours or so. Let me tell you that uh, it has been a day of heat and rain at Melbourne as the Australian Open has got underway on day two. Let me tell you what has been going on there. And uh, the big news of the day is the weather. And uh, it's been a case of uh, the heat, as I say, and the rain. But let's just talk about some of the highlights of the day so far. Well, as I say, heat halted outdoor matches. They sent fans racing to find some shade and a test of endurance for the players. The temperatures got in the shade to over 36 degrees Celsius. There were searing gusts of wind that blew through the venue, which invoked the extreme heat policy. Now, you might wonder what that is. I'll tell you what that is. It's the tournament's heat stress scale. It measures radiant heat, humidity, and air temperature in the shade. Uh, and the highest threshold is five. And that's what it got to today. It halted 10 outdoor matches at the Grand Slam. The play did continue, although they had to close the roof on the three show courts. Former world number one, Andy Murray, had an incredible game today. He beat Matteo Berrettini, the 17th seed. It was a five-set thriller. Incredible, incredible game that was. Five-set thriller at the Rod Laver Arena, getting through in the final set. He was two sets to love up, was Murray. And uh, he then lost the third and fourth sets. And then the fifth set went to a tiebreaker. He had match point against him, did Murray. And he came out victorious. Caroline Garcia, the Frenchman, who beat Katharina Sebel, 6-3-6-love on the main show court before Murray's match, said she wasn't badly affected by the heat. It was warm, but it was nice to be able to get into the shade when, obviously, the roof was on. Bay on the outdoor courts then was halted for three hours. When conditions improved, there was more frustration for fans and delays for the players because then the rain came down and a number of matches have had to be rescheduled for tomorrow. The heat delay was not welcomed by all the players. Australian Jordan Thompson blew his cool, excuse the uh, pun, when his match on court three was halted. He was trailing JJ Wolf 6-3-1-3, but he was a break up, or about to go for a break point, I should say. He said to the umpire, he's played there before when the temperatures were 45 degrees. Well, the temperatures were nudging over 30 degrees when matches started early in the morning. Leila Fernandez was glad that she beat the veteran Elise Corner in straight sets, the first match on court number three. Now, extreme heat is a feature of the Australian Open, which is held smack bang in the middle of the summer with play occasionally suspended and leaving organisers with scheduled headaches. Um, the Andy Murray game was one that uh, everybody was uh, very happy to see. And uh, he said that he was very happy with his own performance. He's always his own harshest critic, the unseated Murray, the Italian, in a five-hour marathon on the Rod Laver Arena, saved the match point in the final set before winning 6-3, 6-3, winning the first two sets, as I say, and then losing the second set 4-6, losing the third set, the fourth set 6-7, and then he won 10-6, 7-6 on a tiebreak, 10-6. Of course, tiebreaks go to the first to 10, and then two-point break rather than continually playing. Now, the 35-year-old 
was knocked out in similar marathon matches at grandstands in recent years. He said he took pride in shutting down those who questioned whether he could still perform at the highest level after his injuries. And he certainly showed that tonight. Now, the other thing that's been going on at the Australian Open, that is one that's a little bit of a concern, I guess, and that is that the Russian and Belarusian flags have been banned from the Melbourne Park precinct during the Australian Open. There was a complaint from the Ukrainian ambassador to the Australians, a move that the Russian embassy described as regrettable. The Ukrainian ambassador to Australia and New Zealand posted a picture showing a Russian flag hanging from a bush beside the court where his compatriot Katarina Bundle was playing her first round match yesterday. He says he condemns the public display of the Russian flag during the game of a Ukrainian tennis player. He called on Tennis Australia to act immediately and have a neutral flag policy. Tennis Australia then responded today by banning the flags of the two countries. According to the uh, Tennis Australia, the flags from Russia and Belarus are now banned on site. Their initial policy was that fans could bring them in but could not use them to cause disruptions. Yesterday, they had an incident where a flag was placed courtside. The ban is effective immediately, and they'll continue to work with the players and fans to ensure the best possible environments to enjoy the tennis. Now, there's been a few comments that have come afterwards, a few complaints. One made to the Melbourne publication, The Herald and The Age, saying why should they worry about a flag being hung at the side of the stadium? Their comment was, it's not like they're waving Nazi or ISIS flags. It's a sovereign country. Ukraine's number two, Marta Pustuk, told Reuters news agency that she would not shake hands with two arrivals from Russia and Belarus, who she feels have not done enough to speak out against the invasion. Now, you know what we try? We try so hard to devoid the link between politics and sports. Yet, at the end of the day, sport bridges all forms of racism and anti-Semitism and all that goes with this terrible world that we live in. So uh, it is rather difficult to differentiate between the two because just a week or so ago in Australia at Melbourne, they had a event to raise funds for the children of Ukraine. The players raised a quarter of a million dollars, which obviously is fantastic. Andy Murray has got a humanitarian award because he gave all the money that he won last year on tour to children in the Ukraine, to UNICEF, to try and assist there. So tennis players around the world do some great stuff. And I think it's maybe, and if you think I'm being a bit harsh, well, you're always welcome to comment. But I do find it a little bit disturbing when a tennis player says they're not going to shake hands with another player. I mean, it's really not the players that have done or caused the war that's going on between Russia and Ukraine and obviously Belarus sort of climbed in on the side there. So it's a little bit harsh for players to say they won't shake hands. It's a bit unsportsmanlike, I guess. Anyway, that's for another conversation. That's the tennis going on in Australia. We will update you over the next couple of days as things, I won't say heat up, because that's not something that we want uh, at the tennis in Australia. Cricket now, the SAT20 is underway, well and truly underway now. And uh, they have done exceptionally well, I think, the organisers, to be perfectly honest with you, in doing some fantastic work at tournament. And last night, it was Tristan Stubbs and Aidan Markram who saw the sun rises home. They uh, won their game, the Eastern Cape franchise. Uh, they claimed a tight four-wicket win. Only three balls to spare over the Mumbai Indians from Cape Town in their T20 match at St. George's Park.
Stubbs hit 30 of 18 balls, slamming two fours and a six, and shared in a vitally important 45-run partnership with Marco Janssen, who was 16 not out of 17 balls, one six for him. Markram earlier scored 50 of 35 with seven fours, and they had a superb 92-run third we could stand with, Sarah Trivia, who got 41 of 35. That was after the Mumbai Indians Cape Town had a really poor start. Some big names losing their wickets early. And then it was the chance of uh, one or two of the uh, other players who don't normally get a mention. Rusty van der Dissen got a good few runs. Grant Rulofsson did really well. George Linder was the best of all. He smashed the ball all over the place, did uh, George Linder. And then bowled exceptionally well. So uh, good result, though, for the uh, Eastern Cape-based side is the word I'm looking for. They did exceptionally well in the SA20 last night. Now, the big test is going to be this evening when the game is at the Wanderers because we talk about all these fantastic crowds and how brilliant they've been, and they have been so far. Let's be perfectly honest. But I think the big test is going to be to see what happens at the Wanderers. It's Hoppers 5 kickoff or first ball bowled at the Wanderers, which is happening while we are broadcasting this podcast to you. I will again be honest with you, we are not live this evening due to load shedding, which for those of you around the world don't know what load shedding might be. It means that we don't have electricity in South Africa for up to 8, 10, 12, even sometimes more hours per day. So we do record the program so we can make sure that you do have a show. The Joburg Super Kings will take on the Pretoria Capital. Some very big names in those two sides playing in action later on this evening, and we will obviously see how the crowds pour into the Wanderers in Johannesburg, which is South Africa's biggest cricket ground by far, holds almost 30,000. And I can tell you, a full Wanderers, there's nothing like it in the world. I'm a big Newlands fan, and I broadcast many games there. I've also broadcast many games at the Wanderers, and a full Wanderers, and a full Centurion Park, and a full Newlands. There's nothing better than a full Wanderers. 30,000 crazy fans in there screaming, and there's no reason why there shouldn't be that many fans tonight, because bearing in mind, if you're not sure of the geographics of the country, Johannesburg and Pretoria are separated only by 45 kilometers. So these two sides coming from a very similar region, just like the uh, Paul Royals and the Mumbai Indians Cape Town, also se- separated by about 45 kilometers. So uh, no reason why the fans in Pretoria can't make their way to Johannesburg to support their team this evening. That game gets underway at Hoppers 5. And then a doubleheader tomorrow again. A bit strange that they've decided to have the game so early. The Mumbai Indians Cape Town against the Sunrisers Eastern Cape. It's obviously for television purposes. Hoppers won there. Schools go back tomorrow in Cape Town. So I guess there'll be a little bit of a smaller crowd at Hoppers 1 at Newlands. And then tomorrow evening, a reversal of tonight's game. The two sides playing tonight, the Joburg Super Kings and the Pretoria Capitals. Just reversed. Uh, The two sides play each other again tomorrow evening, also at Hoppers 5. That will be a full house at Centurion, I can guarantee you. And then one game on Thursday where Paul Royals take on Sunrise's Eastern Cape. Friday, there's the Durban Super Giants against the Victoria Capitals. And then on Saturday, the Paul Royals take on the Mumbai Indians Cape Town. That's a 1.30 kickoff, Olof, and then the Sunrise's Eastern Cape by the Joburg Super Kings at Hoppers 5 and a doubleheader on Sunday when the Paul Royals play the Victoria Capitals. That should be fantastic. And Paul, going to be hot. My goodness, it's going to be hot. And then the Sunrises Eastern Cape play the Durban Super Giants in Quebec, Port Elizabeth, as you will know it, on Sunday evening at half past five. So thick and fast as the uh, cricket season is now well and truly underway, as well as the announcement yesterday, not only that we have a new South Africa as a new coach for the 
test and one-day season, but there's been a few changes in personnel already. And this is the strangest one of all for me. And that is that South Africa's bowling coach, Charles Langefeld, who, let's be honest, our bowling has been superb. It's our batting that's the problem. Well, he will not be involved. The no part to be played as the new Proteus men's team coach dispensation changes. Langefeld is no longer required. I just don't understand it. We've got a schoolboy coach for the cricket team. The batting coach is a schoolboy coach, pretty much. No, not his fault. I mean, if you offered me the job, I'd take it as well. I was travel the world. Wonderful. But Langefeld, who played for the Proteus six times, 72 one-day internationals, 90 20s, and joined Anna Mark Boucher in 2019. He is no longer needed. And as I say, it is quite weird because he obviously has done a really great job with our bowlers. Shukrek Ponrad is the new coach of the test team, the Red Bull team. And Rob Walters will look after the White Bull. They, of course, were announced yesterday and we mentioned it before. Langefeld will join the Punjab Kings as their bowling coach. There's been an excellent acquisition for this national team, but they respect his decision to move on. So they didn't try, I guess, too hard. or Maybe they didn't have enough money to keep him there. The appointment of Conrad and Walters also left question marks regarding Malabongwe Maketa, the former Warriors coach who lent a helping hand when the men's team went to Australia. He was Otis Gibson's assistant from 2017 to 2019, stated his intentions of being the national team coach, but he was on the shortlist. He didn't make the final cut, unfortunately. And the director of cricket, Iroh uh, said they'll be meeting with him later this week to discuss his future. I guess there is a position available for him to take Shukri Conrad's position. But hey, let's see what happens as far as that is concerned. Uh, Conrad, a very level-headed coach. That much I can tell you. He's looked after a couple of teams before. And uh, hopefully he will take South Africa's Red Bull cricketers into the future. That would be really nice to see. Now, let's talk about some interesting information. Currently, the Under-19 Women's World Cup is going on. T20 World Cup is happening in South Africa. And the home side registered their first victory in the tournament, beating Scotland by 44 runs at the Willamore Park Stadium in Bandoni, which is about 20-odd kilometres or so, maybe a bit less, outside of Johannesburg. Scotland won the toss and opted to bowl first. Ilandre Janssen van Rensburg opened the first ball, smashing a boundary on her first attempt. At the end of the first over saw van Rensburg's dismissal, caught away down the side. But as far as uh, South Africa are concerned, a very good win in the end for them. And uh, it was also the very first hat-trick ever, not just in this uh, event, in this match, but it was the first hat-trick ever in the under-19 T20 competition. So absolutely fantastic that it was done by a South African. Madison Lunsman made a historic moment for herself. First hat-trick, as I say, South Africa winning in the end. She recorded that hat-trick towards the end of the match. So uh, lots of great cricket going on there in the uh, under-19 World Cup. Of course, the Ladies World Cup is also coming to South Africa in a short while's time. So uh, we look forward to bringing you uh, updates on that as well. As I say, the uh, ICC under-19 competition well and truly underway here in South Africa. And well done to uh, young Lunsman for the hat-trick that she took. Now, there's uh, football action later on this evening where there's some more Premier League matches that will be uh, happening between now 
and the end of the weekend, we can most probably have a look and see how, if at all, but I guess there will be some changes. Tomorrow evening sees Crystal Palace at home to Manchester United. United will obviously have a chance of closing the gap between themselves and Arsenal if they were to win that. And then a big game on Thursday evening for uh, Tottenham. They travel up to Manchester to play Manchester City, a game where both these sides are in contention for a place in Europe next year, and Manchester City, of course, still in contention, along with uh, Newcastle and, to a lesser extent, Spurs. Their season, I think, will come to an abrupt end in terms of chasing for the title if they were to be on Thursday evening, Manchester City against Tottenham Hotspur. And then locally here in South Africa, they're all chasing Poloni Sundowns. They'll have the chance to set a Premier Soccer League record as they aim for an unprecedented 12th Premiership victory in a row. This Saturday, they play Kaiser Chiefs. The 1-0 victory over Supersport United last night equaled their own best mark of 11 wins in succession, which they did in 2006-2007 season under coach Gordon Eggerson. Uh, this year, they've beaten Chipper United 1-0. They've beaten the Montreal Golden Arrows 2-1. They beat Amazulu 1-0. They beat Marumo Galantz 1-0. They beat Maritzburg United 5-0. Royal Am 3-0. They beat Pirates 2-0. Swallows 2-0. Richards Bay 2-0. Sundowns uh, beat Chipper United 2-1. And last night's 1-0 victory over Supersport United. 11 wins in a row. And they have a 14-point lead at the top of the local Premier League. So, tremendous performance by Mamelodi Sundowns. They will be delighted with the way things are going as far as the season is concerned. And that 14-point lead that they take into the second half of the season is one that I am sure they are going to be very, very difficult indeed for anyone to uh, get even close to them as far as uh, the title race is concerned. Now, rugby news, and Makasoli Mapimpi is in a bit of bother. He has been cited by the uh, match referee for an eye-gouging incident in Saturday's Heineken Cup clash with the Bordeaux Bagels at Hollywood Bets King, Kings Park. The visiting captain, Maxime Luku, drew the referee's attention to what he claimed was eye contact in the 36th minute of the first half. The incident was then checked by the TMO and on the big screen at the stadium, but it wasn't specific enough where the incident happened and there was no evidence of anything untoward on the replay. However, today they've received a citing complaint against Mapimpi and it is alleged that he's made contact with the eye area of the union Scrum half complaint was made by the match citing commissioner Brian Campson of England. Now, Anthony Davis will chair Leon Lloyd from England and Donnell Courtney of Ireland are appointed as the independent disciplinary committee that will oversee the hearing that will take place with a video conferencing tomorrow. Now, there's been a bit of chatter around on the social media sites by virtue of the fact that people are saying. If it wasn't spotted on the field and it wasn't spotted in the TMO's report, why now are they bringing it up? Now, the problem is that depending on what and how dangerous or how they view the eye-gouging incident, Mapimpi can be suspended, bearing in mind that the big crucial game coming up for the Sharks at the weekend, for anything up to a year for an eye-gouging incident. So if it's, it just depends on 
what they think the how they see the offence in terms of uh, its severity. And as I say, anything from uh, four weeks up to a year almost. So if it's a low end, it's four weeks. If it's mid-range, it's eight weeks. And if it's the top end, if they decide it's a top end uh, offence, anywhere between 12 and 52 weeks he can be suspended for. The good news, though, for the Sharks, if if there is good news about this, is that they already have booked their spot in the round of 16 and take on Harlequins at the Stoop. That's Twickenham Stoop on Saturday at 3 o'clock South African time is the kickoff for that game. So it's not terrible if Mapimpi, oh, look, it will be terrible if he's suspended, but be that as it may. Normally, these kind of things, when they get to this particular stage, kind of think that the guys, or most probably the uh, view of the uh, committee having brought this up is that uh, you most probably find that he's going to be guilty. So hopefully not, but uh, that's unfortunately once they look at all the evidence. And bearing in mind, they've had four days, three days now since the weekend to sit and look at every TV angle and whatever uh, to try and uh, get (laughs) this man in in trouble. So anyway, um, let's not delve into that too much. Let's see what else we can uh, bring you before we say goodbye. The box stalwart prop forward Franz Malherba has signed a three-year contract extension to stay with the Stormers. That's fantastic news for the Stormers. He's now 31 years old, spent his entire professional career at Western Province and has represented the Stormers 126 times. He won the Rugby World Cup with the Springboks in 2019 and played a key role in the Stormers' victory in last season's inaugural United Rugby Championship. And coach John Dobson has heaped huge praise on the big man. And a big man he certainly is, not somebody that I would like to meet in a dark alley. And before we leave you this evening, some news on Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp says he will not leave Liverpool unless he's told to go, hinting at a major overall of his ageing squad at the end of the season. A sixth, sixth Premier League defeats of this campaign means the 2020 champions are 10 points outside the top four with just over half the season remaining. Klopp last year signed a contact extension until 2026 and the 55-year-old stressed only the sack would prevent him from seeing his contract out. Not too sure that Liverpool will be looking to sack their coach. But be that as it may, you never, ever know. His problem, I think, and I know you know from listening to the show that I'm not a Liverpool fan, but that doesn't mean that I dislike Liverpool. Wow, did I say that out loud? But their problem, I think, is... The age of some of their players, Jordan Henderson, the captain's 32, Fabinho's 29, Thiago is 31, and they remain first-choice picks in midfield that's showing its age. But Klopp denied he was being too loyal to the old guard. Now, there might be fans that say, hmm, maybe he is. Now, there's a huge test for him tonight, and it's Wolves in the FA Cup third-round replay this evening. Who they play? They play Wolves tonight, and uh, he's rejected the suggestion that long-serving players had stopped listening to him. Isn't that always the problem when the coach has either lost 
the respect of the players or the players lose respect for the coach. It's so easy for the players to get rid of the coach. Now, let's see what goes on. There was rumours earlier in the season that the Brazilian players had created a little group for themselves and they were not communicating with the players that were from England. Now we hear the story that Klopp's looking after the old guard. Let's just put it this way. You'll never walk alone. But right now, I'm not so sure that they're all walking together. So I think there's a few problems going on at Anfield. But they're a big side. They're a big squad. And they, I am sure, are going to... I'm right. Well, we'll see. After tonight's game, you never know. And Chelsea have beaten Arsenal to the signing of the Ukrainian international Kylo Mudrik from Shakhtar Donetsk. That, believe it or not, is an initial fee of £70 million and a further £30 million in performance-related add-ons. He's just 22 years of age. He signed an eight-and-a-half-year deal at Stamford Bridge. He was a long-term target for the Gunners. He is set to join the Premier League leaders Arsenal. But Arsenal refused to match Shakhtar's 100 million valuation. Chelsea then went, thank you. We'll have a bit of that. And he is now in the Chelsea On that note, 100 million pound notes, I will leave you and wish you a pleasant Tuesday evening. Hope that you enjoy the action over the next 48 hours, 24 in particular. And we will fill you in with everything that's going on in the world of sport when we chat again tomorrow evening. This has been another edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. As always, I leave you with this thought. Be nice to each other. Bye-bye.